Welcome to Desert Island Geek. Each episode, we welcome one self-confessed geek to our deserted island. But there's a catch. They may bring five, and only five, of their most essential geek items they simply cannot live without. Welcome once again to Desert Island Geek. This week we have Neville Hobson. He is a communicator, blogger, and podcaster. And for more than 25 years, he's been a passionate advocate of new and emerging technology and how people can use them to improve their organizations. Neville, welcome to the island. Well, thank you, Neil. Very pleased to be stranded here. Well, you're not quite stranded yet because obviously uh, we have to decide whether you are going to be permitted on the island right. with the various items that you have decided to bring with you. Okay. So we're going to jump straight in and take the first thing off the list. You are allowed uh, access on the island to one website and web- one website only. Which website will that be? This wasn't too difficult, given the, uh, the focus on tech, uh, something I pay attention to. Um, which tech-focused website would I go for in that case? Uh, to me, it was a dead easy choice, and that choice was TechMeme. Um, one of the reasons for it is uh, that it aggregates content from all over the place uh, that I'd otherwise have to go to separately. Uh, but it does it in a way that gives you the, uh, the thread of conversation, what's percolating, what's bubbling in the tech area. It is a bit of a bubble, sure, um, but it is smack in the middle of my areas of interest. So that website is TechMeme. Do you find that uh, there are several sites that, that aggregate information, and particularly within the tech field, because they want to bring as much information into one place and be the one point, one stop-off point for all of the information? Do you find that this site in particular, you, you have a greater level of trust in the way that they assemble the information, what they leave, what they put in, and what they leave out? Uh, personally, yeah, I do, and I read commentary. I hear people's opinions about. Um, the fact that it's not so independent as it might seem, I don't know whether that's true. Uh, my understanding in terms of the kind of back-end algorithms plus a little bit of Gabe Rivera's secret source to uh, aggregate all this content works for me a lot. I find that um, things that I'm paying attention to, uh, that uh, keyword searches uh, that I, you know, following topics as they develop or just simply out of interest in the things that are happening in tech, I always find it aggregated on TechMeme. Plus, it gives me um, uh, sources that I otherwise probably wouldn't have found. I mean, one of the beauties of it is the discussion linking. I have no idea how it works, and I actually don't care how it works. Uh, what I do know is that there's a story that um, is at the top of TechMeme, not so much the leaderboard I'm interested, is what's percolating at that moment. And you then see the link saying discussion. You click on that, and it expands it out to everyone else who's talking about that topic, either directly linked to that lead story. And I have yet to find anything else that does it as well. Uh, it tends to be US-focused, but you know that's where stuff's happening more than anywhere else. Although I've seen recently an awful lot of um, stories out of Europe that are making it into tech meme, and that pleases me quite a bit. I hear arguments that they're all mainstream media and not blogs. I don't necessarily agree, but my answer to that would be, in which case bloggers get writing a bit more and you might get picked up on tech meme. But I think it's um, the best tech site out there. That's my opinion. How do you feel being on an island for a little while and being very remote from all the technology? Will you feel less involved and more uh, a voyeur of what's going on within the tech space? Probably. Um, because of the fact that I would be marooned and stranded, uh, that I probably couldn't uh, engage 
in a certain way um, to contribute or argue or opine or do something. But at least I can keep up with what's going on so that by the time I do get back to uh, the civilized world, uh, I won't really have missed an awful lot. I'll be up to speed, according to Tech Meme, at least. So you won't have your um, your return relearning curve, spending time to sort of re-acclimatise yourself? No. I mean, now, you know, when I'm out and about, away from the desktop, um, one of the places that I check frequently on my mobile device uh, is Tech Meme. So uh, it's a way of staying connected. Uh, and so... I think as long as there's connectivity to a network someplace, and uh, I gather there is one on the island, I'm cool with that. Now, connectivity is a question we don't actually get into on here because, um, let's just say, it involves coconuts and we're not going to go any further than that. Fair enough. (laughs) One day, perhaps, we will have some plausible means of you being able to access, but uh, right now we we will see. Let's move on to your second choice, which is a podcast podcast. Uh, you're a podcaster yourself, so I, I always find that for a podcaster to select another podcast is actually much more difficult. So what was your choice yeah, for podcast? It was very, very difficult. The choice I made isn't by a podcaster per se, um, but it was guided by the simple fact that if I were to be stranded someplace and I wanted to uh, uh, be entertained, keep up with what's going on in the in the world outside the tech bubble, apart from anything else, what would I do? And if I had to choose just one podcast, what would I do? Well, the podcast I chose is not called a podcast by the publisher, but it is The Economist Audio Edition. And luckily, the podcast comes in uh, in multiple individual MP3 files all wrapped up in a zip. Uh, every single episode, every single edition of the paper weekly, they do this. And one of the things that impresses me enormously is this podcast uh, is available... Late Thursday night GMT, uh, when the the day before the uh, the printed edition hits the newsstand, and it's an enormous amount of work. Every word of the current edition of the magazine, every single word of editorial articles, leaders, you name it, is the podcast. And you know, I'm not into uh, the argument uh, so much of uh, it's professionally done, therefore, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You hear those arguments a lot. It's not amateur. No, it's not. It is professionally done. There are. They are professional, uh, how would you describe it, uh, recording people who do this kind of audio recording work. Uh, that's fine with me. I listen to the, to the podcast, to the economist a lot in my car, and it's just what I want to listen to. So if I was stranded someplace, it would be this. But as I said, that was a tough choice because I could think of another half dozen other podcasts that have a business focus, which is what I'm interested in, uh, that I would want. But I'd be missing the entertainment aspect in a sense, and that comes from the content not so much the delivery mechanism. So uh, I find The Economist, uh, and, and I think people who read it will understand this, an entertaining read as well. So you say about whether this is, strictly speaking, a podcast or not, it, seem, it seems that the form of distribution is slightly different. Is there no RSS involved? Is there, What kind of delivery? Uh, yes, there is have? RSS. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but they that's more to notify you of the content availability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to download it directly from the site. But uh, to be honest, I don't really care myself whether a podcast is called a podcast It doesn't meet some, some strict criteria of how you define it. Uh, does it have an RSS feed? No, it doesn't. Therefore, you can't call it a podcast. No, that's silly, uh, really. If we are to educate people out there in terms of, uh, you know, digital media that's available to them, whether we call it downloadable audio, whether it's called a podcast, whether it has an RSS feed or not, doesn't matter. If people call it a podcast and it means they go and download it, does anyone really care? 
I personally don't. And so as long as uh, whatever it is, people have access to it in any way they want to get hold of it. Now, the, it's, I think, behooves the publisher or the creator of a podcast to make it available in as many ways as possible. And The Economist does that, I think, uh, in a broad range of ways. I tend to go and download it, though. And I'm a subscriber to the magazine, so this comes as part of my subscription. You can get hold of it without being a subscriber. You, you pay for it each time. They, they, I think, meet the need of, of delivering content that's subjectively, in my view, excellent. And it's available in a way that I can easily access it, which is the same applies to anyone else, in which case it's a podcast as far as I'm concerned. So effectively, this is a, a paid subscription service one way or another. Either you, yep. you purchase it as a non-subscriber or you yep. subscribe to the magazine and, and get it. And get it. Yeah. This could be one of the few situations where paid subscription models for podcast distribution actually works well i think it is there are other paid subscription models out there uh, and to my mind it's a bit like the the ongoing discussion about mainstream media and accessing their content online you pay for it there are two sites i know of one of which i subscribe to the financial times is one the wall street journal is another i used to i don't anymore to me it's a simple choice if a publisher has content, you really want to get the content, you're willing to pay for it, then it's a, it's a business model that will work. It's down to the quality of the content. It all though, yes. has to do with the content. Yeah. And uh, why would I subscribe to the FT and pay the money when the news is available elsewhere? That's not what I'm doing. I'm buying it for their take on that news, for the columnists and their opinion on that news, and access to, to things like, if I really want to, which I don't that often, analysis of company performance, all that financial stuff. So the Wall Street Journal was the same. And uh, it really does come down to if you feel the content is valuable, you will pay for it. It's the same with, with the podcast uh, from The Economist in that sense. Something which is a little more pure entertainment. I'm glad you used the entertainment value in relation to The Economist. I wouldn't want you being all entirely business-focused <laughs> while you're on the no, island. No. You need to relax just yep. a little bit. It's so true. A little bit of character and entertainment through that particular source will be just fine. So um, a music track, you have access to one music track, and what will that be? Again, the, the, I mean, these were all really tough choices to just pick one, uh, and it's Podsafe Music to boot. And, uh, you know, I listen to an awful lot of Podsafe Music from uh, musicians, from independent artists, from a couple of established bands, uh, the place I tend to go to more than any other is uh, the Podsafe Music Network, that's Podshows Network. And uh, one singer I go back to time and again, and in fact, we've played her music on our show, for a media release, the show I do with Shell Holtz, more than any other single artist. And, that, and, and where, where will people find that show? On www.forimmediatrelease.biz. Excellent. Uh, there will be links in the show notes, of yeah. course. <laughs> and that singer... Uh, is a lady called Maria Danes. Uh, Maria is an intriguing... Uh, she has such a powerful voice. And her music style is a mixture of blues and rock. And if you didn't know she was British, you would never in a million years guess she was. Uh, she sounds like she comes from the deep south in the US. Uh, she has a, a rich... Uh, uh, t the tonal range of the voice is quite astounding. Choosing which track really was difficult. I mean, there's probably a, at least two albums worth of her music that I think I would recommend to anyone to go and listen. And I, I actually, on reflection, I think Shell and I have played probably a dozen of her songs over the last two or three years on our podcast. But the one I chose, if I had to take just one, is really the representative track for me. Uh, it's also her take on a, a really famous song, which is The House of the Rising Sun. 
the way in which she sings this, the emotion, the power that comes across in this, it's totally different to the animal's original, obviously, female voice, the obvious reason. But how she treats the lyrics, how she tells that story in song, is really gorgeous to listen to. Spin the 
And there we have Maria Danes and her take, her very original take on familiar classic House of the Rising Sun. It's interesting to see, or to hear, I should say, an artist taking it somewhere else, taking it as particularly a, a very familiar track and doing something yeah. new with it. And, and their take, I think it shows confidence from that artist in, in, in their ability and their, their creativity. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, and that's reflected, in my view, by much of her other music. She's actually um, well known, I think, uh, for her crusading approach to environmental issues. A lot of her music addresses uh, things. In fact, her, one of her most recent songs called Save the World, it runs about six minutes, quite long, uh, tells a story uh, of um, events in the world today, particularly conflict in Africa. And the lyrics are really, you, you pay attention to the lyrics when you sing songs like that, but the emotion that comes across. And The House of the Rising Sun is, is clearly doesn't have that environmental message, but she brings, as you rightly noted, the, uh, the emotional interpretation of a song that, that was written many years ago and is a classic that uh, t- she tells the story slightly differently from, from I, I guess, bringing all her perspectives of what she's interested in as a musician to it. Um, but it's a terrific rendering, I think. You mentioned she has uh, a lot of messages about ecology and, yeah. uh, and that kind of uh, save the world yeah. um, theme. Is, is that something that's, that's close to the way you feel? Is, is that something that attracts you to her music? Uh, partly, I think. It's something I've been paying a lot of attention to in the last couple of years in particular and increasing so in the last uh, six to eight months. I have to say, honestly, uh, partly because of, of some client work I've been doing for one particular client, which is all to do with climate change. It focuses your attention on things. And so, yeah, it, it is a significant issue that uh, I'm paying attention to. Uh, I'm not, not going to evangelize everyone else to, but hey, you ought to. <laughs> now, our next item that you're allowed to have on the island is, is often the trickiest of all for, for a great many of the guests, because in this day and age, we, we spend so little time actually reading books. And... In particular, people have a difficult choice between whether they're going to be a technical book or a non-fiction related to their work so they can keep up with information or or advanced technology book that they hadn't really got around to reading or whether it's going to be something with pure entertainment. What's your choice? Well, uh, this is a book I discovered when it was first published in 2002, and I must have read it 10 times since then. It's, it's made such a massive impact on what I think about a whole bunch of stuff related to life in general, business, relationships between people, technology, science, developments, where we're going, all that stuff. And this book is a fiction, it's a novel. Uh, It's called Altered Carbon by a writer called Richard Morgan, a British writer, one of the, uh, how would you describe Richard? Probably, at the time, new author. This was his first novel. And uh, it's a science fiction novel. In fact, if you want to give it a genre label, it probably described as cyberpunk it's had such an impact. I think about a lot of the content in this because of um, the story it portrays, but the, the way in which technology has developed is full of tech, the story. So uh, that appeals to me, obviously. But the way in which uh, the, the concept of society in the, in the time this takes place in the future, uh, what human beings have been able to, to achieve up till then against a backdrop of severe conflict... Uh, it's to do with interstellar war, and it's to do with colonizing foreign pla- uh, foreign planets. I, I mean, extraterrestrial planets, 
and um, about the the hero of the story and what he does is a murder mystery. But if you if you really want to boil it down, it's a detective story. But uh, the way in which human beings are able to regenerate themselves and through a process the novel describes as sleeving, which is to uh, transfer your, I guess my description would be your soul into another body. And that's kind of natural, that's normal, that's how, how, that's how you do things. And so that is how you overcome the difficulties of interstellar travel, uh, which takes light years. Uh, you just send the cortex from the brain, an implant, uh, that then transfers all that into another human, uh, human body. The concept of that is fascinating, I think. I had the same reaction about tech when I first saw Star Wars when it came out. The way in which it doesn't explain how it all came about, you've got to guess. But it treats it uh, as if, yeah, this is normal, this is, this is how things are. And uh, that I find fascinating. Uh, so you, you, you kind of, in a sense, are left with your own thinking when you, when you think about the story, when you think about how this is being portrayed. You've got to figure, how did that get to that? You know, what happened in, in the space of three to four hundred years in human development that we could do this? And that's one of the fascinating things about just today, 2008, uh, the things that are happening uh, in, our, in our lives that affect us through the technology developments. There are things, you know, we have today that would be difficult to imagine even five years ago. And uh, you can be sure there are going to be things in five years that will have happened that we have difficulty thinking about today unless you're in science in a lab someplace. Other than that, the story is just a damn good story. Are you seeing, you're talking about technology right now and the way we, we don't foresee what's going on, and this book portrays something way ahead in the future, about how long in the future? You know, what do you think? I, yeah, it's 500 years. 500 years, yeah. okay. Can you see, can you relate to what's happening, something, anything that's happening now, anything that you see that you can extrapolate has been projected into that, into that book? Can you, can you follow uh, the author's train of thought as to how they may have arrived at some of those decisions? Partly, I think, uh, my, my, my immediate focus when I do think about this is on genetics, what's happening now in biotechnology. And even, you know, looking at current science fiction, looking at what's been happening uh, in the last 15 to 20 years with movies. I mean, starting with things like The Terminator. Uh, I've actually been watching the Sarah Connor Chronicles on Virgin One over the last week. An interesting developing story, but the way in which that addresses a topic, that series is made last year, uh, so it's pretty current. And you look at uh, other movies in particular, uh, setting aside other books for a second, in terms of how, you know, the development of, of the kind of cyber organisms being treated. And uh, you see what's going on, and you think, yeah, this sounds feasible, what uh, Richard Morgan has come up with just 500 years' time. So we've had, you know, uh, animal cloning. Uh, there's talk about uh, human being cloning. We had developments in South Korea until it emerged that the, uh, all the discoveries were faked. And I think that set back uh, trust in that for quite a while. Uh, it's inevitably going to be pretty secretive, a lot of this stuff's going on. It has massive issues in society, ethical issues, um, not to be treated lightly at all. My, my personal view is that, uh, you know, I think it's somewhat inevitable that you're going to have this because that is in the nature of human beings to discover things. So the, the extreme notion of something, of a society like the Matrix, for instance, we're all plugged into something through you know, things that stick in the back of your head or your spine or whatever, uh, may or may not happen. What I think is more likely, uh, which is, might be more disturbing view, is that you know, microchip implantation, um, finding out and storing knowledge about people, and this is all to do with data storage. 
So the argument, one of the many, I'm certain, it comes to uh, who do you trust with this and who has the right to make decisions about this and is this playing God? I mean, these are massive ethical issues apart from anything else. Uh, but I don't believe uh, it's stoppable uh, given the, uh, the nature of the species. I mean, we are discoverers, we are explorers, and we want to find out these things. Now, what we do with the discoveries is the other issue, and that, that discussion can go off in all sorts of tangents. Uh, but one of the appeals, as I mentioned to um, Richard Morgan's novel, Altered Carbon, is precisely this notion of um, the way in which human beings are able to achieve this uh, kind of reconstruction of themselves uh, in the backdrop or against the backdrop of a society that is colonizing and in conflict and a detective story. And it's it's presented as if this is just how things are, and no one complains. Okay, he's a science fiction writer, he has that license. I think plenty would complain and do today, but again, these things, in my view, are inevitable developments, unless something stops us that's terminal, like a nuclear war or something, you know, or aliens from outer space, who knows. You have one item left, which is a, a gadget or device of some kind, which is always an interesting choice. As, as to what, what someone might select. I think it's a great insight, more so than the others. And yours is? Okay, well, this was tricky-ish in, in the sense that I, the instructions said I wasn't allowed to take certain types of gadgets, so, you know, no, no mobile phone, none of, those, none of the usual things, that, the usual suspects that you might come up with. So I, I just thought to myself, okay, what's the most useful gadget that I've got that isn't requiring, you know, plugging it in somewhere or access to a network or any of those things? Uh, that would be useful on a desert island. And, of course, that was an easy one for me, which is a torch. And before you think, yeah, batteries and power, no, this is a hand crank power torch. You wind a handle, it generates the electricity. This gadget is so simple. It uh, uses LEDs. And this particular model I have in mind has got three LEDs uh, that give out enough, the similar brightness to, uh, I don't know, a regular kind of torch you could think of. It truly is quite astounding. And um, if, you, if you wind it for a minute, it gives you 20 minutes of light. You know, it's a gadget that has rechargeable batteries, and you wind a handle, which is a dynamo, which generates the current to charge the batteries. You, you know, you could have this thing with you anywhere without electricity, and you're okay. Uh, but the light is um, pure white, and uh, the three LEDs work either just one LED, so you just don't want too bright, or all three, and they're pretty bright. So, you know, I figured I need light to read the book by. <laughs> so... Unless I'm lucky, you know, it's a full moon night on the desert island someplace. But there's going to be times where I'm sitting snug in my uh, homemade camp bed under the awning there of the palm fronds. No moon, I need a little light. It seems you're already planning your, your living environment, which is quite interesting. So you will be out foraging for food and doing what you need to do during the day, and then you see your, your evenings spent probably listening to the sound of the of the Pacific surf. I mean, I'm assuming we're going to be somewhere like out near Pango Pango or somewhere. Well, for uh, reasons of paparazzi and so on, we, <laughs> we kind of don't tend to reveal exactly where the I'm glad is. about that. Uh, yeah, so, you know, sitting there with the, with, the, uh, with the campfire going, listening to Maria Danes, uh, reading the book, uh, checking in with TechMeme and uh, Wikipedia too, for that matter. And I think that's a pretty uh, comfortable life. And, and, and in fact... Sitting there, uh, you know, being there, disconnected from everything, yet not. 
passively one-way connected could be quite refreshing for a bit. Not quite sure how long one would, you know, I'd be able to sustain that. You've gone through that description with it with quite a, a big smile on your face. I, <laughs> some people are a little concerned about being alone on the island, but you seem to think maybe this is actually going to be a nice break. That's exactly what I was thinking. This is a way to just switch off and, and unplug on my terms, if you sort of mean. Uh, it doesn't mean being totally disconnected, but no expectations to do anything because I couldn't. How do you how do you handle things when you actually go on vacation? Do you are you able to disconnect for a week or two? It's difficult, I must admit. And my wife, uh, bless her, is extremely understanding and, and willing to accept a lot of things. Uh, and I've yet to take a vacation where where the computer does not come along. And that's not not for email and stuff, but that's for I, the things I want to pay attention to. Uh, it's a pretty selfish view in that regard, but uh, I couldn't imagine, uh, certainly not at the moment, being somewhere totally disconnected. I uh, couldn't afford to in terms of relationships, clients and work. I'd like to be able to do that at some point, and this could present the perfect way of doing it. Well, I'm, I'm delighted you have such a positive attitude. Um, you've done a very, very good job of, of persuading me that all your items are entirely valid for bringing <laughs> yourself onto the, onto the island, and it sounds like you're going to have a great time. And we'll have to see after the the spell, the undetermined yeah. spell on the island, um, just how much of a smile you still have on your face or whether you're throwing coconuts around in a desperate attempt to actually voice your opinion about something that you've heard within the techn- technology space. It's going to be difficult. I can imagine actually sending off messages in bottles quite a lot if I could find some bottles. Neville, thank you very much. My pleasure, Neil. Thank you. And um, I hope you enjoy your time on the island. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. This programme was produced and presented by Neil Dixon. To get yourself in touch with the show if you want to take part, have a comment, or want to suggest a geek for a future episode, drop us an email at customs at desertislandgeek.com. Finally, I'm here. Where's my torch? <laughs>